All right, good evening, guys. Welcome to episode 49 of the Racing Line podcast. Um, 50. I say 50 now. Sure, I'm sure it's 50. All right, then we'll call it 50. I've been waiting. I've been anticipating that for so long, and then when I get it, I screw it up. I know. Uh, all right, episode 50 of the Racing Line podcast. Uh, just Joey and I with you here tonight, where we've got a big night of racing to review. We've got the Formula One that took place in... Um, Poland, the Netherlands, um, last night and also into this morning. We'll talk a little bit about the MotoGP and the championship that is just starting to come to a boil now, which is um, really good for any racing fans out there. And then we'll also discuss this morning's race uh, or the results of this morning's race from Portland um, in the States um, and what it means for uh, Will Power's chances at a second IndyCar championship. So few things to talk about tonight, Joey. Um, how you going, buddy? I'm all right, mate. I'm ready to get into it. Well, where do you think we should begin? We'll start with Formula One, but um, where to go from here? Um, I mean, Max was imperious. I don't know if you want to start with that. Not a whole lot to say about it, to be honest with you, about his form. It's kind of just uh, it was what was expected. The last couple of rounds, yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know. To be honest, it was a little bit of an underwhelming race. I mean, even within the telecast, I was talking about how um, a lot of the tracks that we've been to this year, for the most part, we've seen like an increase in spectacle and overtakes, etc., based off of um, based off of just the new regulations, probably the larger DRS zones. But this was probably the Oh, maybe the first time since Saudi Arabia, uh, but the, definitely the first time this season where even the DRS, the OPness of the DRS was um wasn't as visible. Unless I think that was just to do with the track more than anything. Yeah, yeah, unless you're in a car that was far superior to um to your rivals, which was interesting. Um, it wasn't the most engaging race. I feel like I spent more time on my phone than engaged. Um, with the race just due to its very nature, but there were a few things to take away from. I think um, for the most part, we saw uh, a good race from Mercedes, um, particularly George Russell and even even Hamilton before he kind of got strung out to um, at the end of the race with the whole pit stop issue, um, was looking very competitive. And I thought that if they hadn't of, you know, if they had have brought Lewis in, with George, there's probably a better chance for them to um to both fight for the podium. So that was probably you know one uh, bright part of the racing. There was a bit of racing, all race surrounding Fernando Alonso, um either him overtaking or being overtaken. But really, for the most part, it wasn't um wasn't a great race. It wasn't a great. No, race. no, I tend to agree. It wasn't a great race. I feel like what this race showed us was just more. <laughs> Um, sort of verification of what we've been saying in the past couple of weeks about how Red Bull, especially Max, has sort of hit a run of form that he doesn't look like breaking anytime soon. Um, and realistically, I feel like of all the people involved in the race today, I think Mercedes would be the most disappointed. And I feel like disappointed is probably a harsh word to use. But in hindsight, they'll probably look at it and look at it as a few points lost in their chase of getting second place in the championship as a team. 
But um, because I think that they would see it as like they maximize. They didn't maximize the opportunity that they potentially had. Oh, like I wouldn't say it was disappointing. Yeah, I don't think it's disappointing. A, a, they didn't capitalize. On the well, they, I think I think Toto Wolf sort of said it best when he said, "If we leave uh, George out and Pitt Lewis, we're screwed. If we do it the other way around, we're screwed." Realistically, probably the thing that they, in hindsight, should have done was just just pit both both of them, relinquish the lead, and then just hold on to second and third. But um, I mean, when when your car is number one on the road, that's a hard thing to relinquish when you haven't had that track position all year. It's the Lando and, Norris Russia mentality, right? Yeah, very much so. I feel like yeah, it's a sort of slightly yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. Well. Even in hindsight, you look at it. You look at the decision and and how much pace was gained with those with those new soft tires just off going down the main straight. I mean, Max made it look so easy on Lewis, and then even George coming past Lewis looked just as easy. So yeah, in hindsight, it was the wrong decision. But this is one of them where I can sort of understand where where, where they were coming from and why de- why the decision was made. Um, and realistically as well, a second place isn't that bad for Mercedes if you think about it. Um, so they probably, they still did make points on Ferrari this weekend, but just probably not as much as they What did you, what did you make of Ferrari again? I don't, I don't want to say anything anymore, to be honest. I feel like as a team, even though this weekend's mistakes weren't as probably egregious as some of the other ones, I just... I think if they look at themselves, they haven't executed a perfect weekend, regardless of winning the race. They haven't executed a perfect weekend just in terms of any mistakes for a long time. Um, Like, I don't think if they were true to themselves, they could look at any of the last five races and say, we know that we did the best we could and it just wasn't our day. I feel like the mistakes are compounding in a way that is is becoming um, like a joke, but more than just a joke, but like it's taking away a lot of the cre- their credibility. We're becoming a bit um, of a meme. Yeah, well, it's not. It is a meme. Like if you watch the what the Formula One videos after every race, they have a section about memes of the week, and it's just all Ferrari. And realistically, there's there's no one to blame but themselves. I mean, leaving, I mean, everyone's left the tire out, but come on, man. Like, it's, I think it's just more than anything, it's just disappointing. They're, they're, yeah, they're not doing anything to rectify, like, the, their, their image. The like, stigma. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Like, I mean, like, I think the story, there weren't many stories at the top. I think we're kind of at the point now where the championship is over, and it sounds bad, but I'm kind of almost from the championship point of view, just kind of waiting out the races to crown the champion. Well, I think there's seven races left, and and Max can crash out of four of them, and Leclerc would have to win them all and get fastest laps just to to tie up the series, yeah. which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's kind of become a bit of a a dead fish. Um, one talking point that did really um make me think this week. Um, there's something I was thinking about probably last week as well, but this week it really occurred to me. Um, when We've had Latifi in Williams for his third year now. Two years with George Russell, the car was at the back. 
very much at the back. Um, and, you know, Russell swept the floor with Latifi. What I was seeing this week from Albon, and probably for really for half the season now, is now that the Williams, even though it's a weak car, has some level of competitiveness in the hands of a driver that can overdrive, I think we're just we're seeing um, an even bigger difference between, yeah, between a competent driver and a not competent driver. Because even well, if, I think even one if thing that Russell's I would say that second last and he's twenty five seconds ahead of Latifi, it doesn't make as much of an impact as seeing someone in the Williams pushing for a top ten in qualifying and then, like we saw last week in the race, fighting for a point making the car as wide as he could, et cetera. So the fact that we've seen um, Albon you know, make a fist of this opportunity and really get in there and kind of spread his elbows and have a go, um, I think from William's point of view this week, but you know, we've been saying it for a long time, if the car's getting a little bit more competitive, they can probably make the money that they're going to lose from Lavazza with Latifi just by getting a few more spots up on the grid. Um, well, I don't even think it's at the stage anymore where it's, where it's um, if the car's getting a little bit better, like I, I would disagree with you and say Albon's overdriving the car. I don't think he's ever been an overdriver. To be honest, I think he's just always been a, a very good driver. Um, but like I would like to see an, an, a com- another competent driver in that car so we knew, so we know exactly where that car is in terms of, like, in the mix of the other teams. Um, and to know where Albon is. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you look at it, like this week, that car finished ahead of both Haas's. It's finished ahead of, ahead of um, it finished ahead of Danny Rick this weekend, but it's finishing ahead of a few Aston Martins of a few um, Alpha Tauri. So on its on merit like consistently over the last three weekends, it's, it's definitely making inroads. Um, and I think Williams have got to the stage now when they have to have a look and say, we're at the stage where in terms of developing this car more, we need to, we need, you know, to driver input and we need, like, if we want to sort of make inroads up the grid. And I think realistically, that's going to be one of the biggest decisions they're going to have to make this year is do they say, do we take a punt on Logan Sargent now, who's their um, um, academy driver in F2 and who's been doing relatively well in F2 this year. Um, But I would still say he's probably one year shy of making the main game. I'd sort of put him in the same category as Duan. I was thinking about him last week. He's kind of like had the same F2 career as Albon had. He's had good races, good finishes, but you never really, you never really think he's ready to go into Formula Didn't One. Albon eventually become a champion, though. No, and you never really think that. Like he raced with the big boys, got a few wins, was there or thereabouts, but it's never really, you never really looked at him and said, "You're destined for Formula One." And I think that's where Logan Sargent's at now. So it'll be interesting to see if he was to go to Formula One, how that translates, because it's probably a little bit raw still. Um, but I, would, yeah, I would give him another year in, in, in F2. Um, I did like, um, I did like, um, I do like what Albon's doing. And I think he's put himself back into the, into the limelight of Formula One. And it's really proved that he, um, that he, he belongs there. Yep. 
and I think you know I think C signed for for Williams again for another season. Yep. Um. So you know, is that going to be three in a row now? What years? This yeah. is his first. Year. Oh, so, oh yes, second second year. Yeah. I keep forgetting that you know his yeah how well he's done this year. Um. But yeah, not many more takeaways from the race from me to be honest with you. I think if you take away, what did you make of Danny Rick? Like I'm not going to argue about it, but you know what did you make of this race? I feel like in, in with everything that's gone on this weekend, I didn't expect much more than that. Um, having said that, I thought it was pretty poor. I wanted to, I wanted to see how Norris went this weekend. I was very interested in that, and I think the one thing I was in I think the most interested was was that um, the Alpine still finished ahead of him. I didn't I didn't expect that after qualifying. But I just it just keeps happening that that Alpine has has a is more suited to the race, and if it qualifies ahead of the McLaren because the McLaren doesn't suit the track, more power to it. But I just don't think they're worried about not being able to overtake it or or, or catch up to it over a race distance. Um, and I think that for me that for me was probably the biggest surprise because Norris is good at making his car wide. And sort of, if he's ahead of the rest, sort of finishing there. So for Alonso to sort of race up and event, you know, eventually finish ahead of him, and even for Ocon to be right behind him, um, I think realistically, there's enough races towards the end of the year that if Danny Rick doesn't help, um, McLaren's going to finish behind uh, Alpine. And I think that's looking more like a certain, like more like a probability rather than a possibility with sort of what we're seeing. Like even realistically, if you look at the, um, just the races as they are, the um, Alpine boys just are looking more racy. Um, does, does the fact that we've, like we've seen races three or four this year where, where Danny Rick. He wasn't back. even at the races this weekend, to be honest. Yeah. Well, we've seen it a few times where he started at the back and you would assume, based on the car he's driving, that he should be able to get at least at the back of the top 10 or 11th and 12th. And we have, and, and does this have results like this, regardless of how you feel about McLaren, when, regardless of how you feel about how McLaren went about bringing in Piastri? Does that somewhat vindicate their decision to um, not stick to the status quo? Because at this stage, they're fighting for fourth in the championship with one against two. Oh, it, de- it definitely can. And I can definitely see the response for that. I mean, in, in on the flip side, you could say that um, this was sort of the the verification that everyone needed that, yeah, the, the team hasn't um, probably been giving Daniel the confidence that he needs. And then you could say that realistically, like in all the interviews before and after the race, Daniel looked like a defeated person this week and even before that race. Um, and he puts on a brave face, but I've never seen him uh, sort of talk so defeatistly. Um, before, uh, and I, th- I don't know if you noticed that, but it, it definitely seemed like this weekend it, it really hit home that yeah, this thing is is done. 
Hey, it's making me think that he's um he's gonna bail out at the end of the year. I don't think he'll bail out in the year. I, I, honestly, though, I I I see no reason in in him except for his own pride. Um, helping McLaren anymore this year. Realistically, I think if if McLaren it's in McLaren's best interests to now get him out of the car and put someone in there for the end of the year. Really? Yeah. Who? I mean, they can't get the Oscar. Car, with the Maybe they can get Oscar. With, if, with, the Indy, with one more race next week in IndyCar, and then obviously there being uh, the third of the triple headers for Formula 1, would it make sense for them to literally get Pato, get Colton? I don't know if Colton can actually drive. I don't know if he's got the super points, but I think Pato's got the super license points. Do they want to give? Do they want to give Pato the taste though? If they're not, if he's not going to get a seat, you might as well just give him like try. I think for him, like from an IndyCar's point of view, like if you show that you've got something in you, then other people are at least at least your window, your window shopping for other teams as well, right? So there's nothing I think, to I, lose. I, I think that for McLaren, there's nothing to lose. For Danny Rick, take an early break, and if you're gonna sort something out, come back refreshed. But um. I can't see how that how that, that the atmosphere or the mood in that team is going to be anything, you know, uh, is going to be harmonious at all. It's, it's actually a very f- sort of funny juxtaposition if you look at um, the McLaren sort of handling of this Ricardo contract and then in MotoGP sort of the Caddy handling of the Jack Miller contract. Whereas they were pretty upfront with it straight away, Jack knew that he wasn't going to be retained. He wasn't one of the riders who they were really looking at. They gave him the time to sort out his future before they even announced a rider. Um, but more so, you still see him working really harmonious in the in the team. The um, sort of the team dynamic hasn't doesn't look like it's changed at all, and especially his him and uh, Peko's friendship relationship and respect is all still like more than intact um and then you sort of hear what's coming out with what norris has been saying recently it just sounds like every party in that team is sort of walking on eggshells isn't really feeling connected and i think that's that's obviously going to hurt the results one more thing to consider maybe is there any chance like if let's of this theme that it's in McLaren's best interest to let Ricardo go sooner rather than later, just for everybody's sake. He would have to agree to that. Though. That's the other thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But would would it make sense for maybe Nick DeVries or Stoffel to get a chance? I mean, Stoffel had a chance. DeVries honestly, had... I I think you'd want to get a driver who hasn't done anything to. I mean, if Danny Rick's not going to get points to the end of the year, year and it looks sort of like that, maybe give a driver who's going to push. I mean, having said that, um, realistically, that could sort of fail as well. But I just I feel can't like... can't get any worse. That's why I feel like as a team, there needs to be an injection of energy that is going to sort of change the dynamic of that team at the moment. This is what seven races left. They're still... Beating Alpine in the in the championship, but um, on 
on this trajectory. I don't think that that, that can survive. It's not last for much longer, yeah. That's no. The issue. That's the issue. Well, it, enough about Formula One, unless there was anything else that you... I wanted to, I wanted to quickly touch on um, the Hamilton and Mercedes um, race, to I be know. honest. Yeah, like, I feel like we were talking about, we touched on Ferrari and, and, and how that all sort of went. And, I mean, Charles got a podium, so it wasn't a, a terrible weekend. But as you, as you look at the fortunes of each team, there is such a difference in the way that Mercedes execute from sort of the package that they have. And we've been saying it all year, but they were realistically, those two cars had no right to be one and two at that stage of the race. And yeah, um, Verstappen pits, so he, he relinquishes the lead. Mm. But where, where, is, where is the Ferrari pressure making this a championship to sort of be there to pick that up? You well, know what I mean? Mis- yeah, even so they made a mistake on Carlos's second pit stop, but even the first pit stop. Carlos had a race from hell, to be honest. He, um, they put him out behind, I want to say Alonso. His first pit stop was 12 seconds. They didn't have a tyre there. And then the second pit stop, they released him into the path of that's right. into either, the path of, either Alonso or Ocon, yeah, one of the Alpines. Yeah, that's right. So, like, any pressure that they would have wanted to put on him was, was gone. I think you just like the interesting thing that we're seeing about Mercedes, and it's probably an inverse of what it was for the last couple of years, but it's like the recent history would show that McLaren with the domination that they've had, have the ability to run a fairly, well, historically had the ability to run a fairly safe strategy, the one that was risk-averse. And then we saw Red Bull always having to just counter. An alternate strategy. Yeah, try the alternate strategy to what Mercedes were doing. And we kind of said that they were risky. We said that, you know, sometimes these strategies were going to pay off and sometimes they did, you know, with the occasional win for, for, for Red Bull. And I think we've just seen an inverse of that now where Red Bull can kind of play it safe, try to get the buffer, make the pits up, and we're seeing Mercedes take the race to them through the alternate strategy in the same way that Max and even Danny Rick before Max um, was has been playing it really through the through the years of Mercedes dominance. So it's really interesting. Like we respect the team more that has to push and has to try something different, but I don't think it's anything different to what we'd seen. Well, you were saying last Red week, Bull. you think you were saying last week that you think Hamilton's going to retire at the end of the year. Mm. And I think that what you just said is the exact opposite, exact reason why he won't retire at the end of the year. I feel like this year has invigorated him in a way of sort of dealing with a challenge. And I would not be surprised on, on if there was one driver to win a race this year who wasn't in a Ferrari or a Red or, or a Red Bull, mm. that it would be him, even more than George, to be honest, because George is, is pulling in the um the results on consistency, consistency, but Lewis has has looked like he's really grabbing that car by the scruff of the neck and, and making things possible possible that really don't look possible with that car at the moment. The point that I stand by, I think, is that. I don't know if Lewis is racing anymore for wins or for the off win. He's racing for championships. Like that's the only thing that no, he really... it sounded yesterday like he was racing for the off win. Um, Did you hear his outburst? 
Yeah, I think that that might be born a bit more out of frustration, but because yeah, but, but a guy a guy who wasn't racing for the off win wouldn't wouldn't say that. Well, any driver who's put in a position where they have a, the win in with somewhat of you know with somewhat of a chance to win is going to outburst that. But I don't know if there's still the vigor for a 22 race season, knowing that your car at best is going to be third best and and a realistic shot at the championship isn't that realistic. Um, I don't know. I might be completely wrong, but that's how I feel. Like, I feel like he's got nothing left to prove. I feel like there's other interests in his life that he probably could pursue at this stage in his life. Um, and if, you know, they go into next season and it's the same old, I don't know if he's got it anymore. Like, well, I don't Do know you if really believe that next season is going to be the same old after everything we've seen? This like, year, like they might be better, they probably will be better. They might give Ferrari a, a red hot crack at second, but no, I mate. no, I can't see next year, not this year. Yeah, I know. I'm saying next year, I can't see in the form he's in, the age he's at, the jump that they've already got on the rest of the field. I don't see how Ferrari, how Red Bull take a step back. Like, I just feel like. You know, Mercedes will make a step. Red Bull will make a similar step, and it'll be they'll be second maybe next year, but still, you know, half a second off the pace every lap. Thirty seconds by the end of the race with no set. Like it's, I don't, yeah, I don't know how I feel about. It. I just think he's been there long enough, done enough to just say, you know, I've I've got nothing left to prove. Um, okay. Yeah, that's that's, that's fair enough. But I beg to differ. Someone else who had nothing left to prove and wasn't going to keep racing just for the sake of racing um, was Andrea De Vizioso. Yeah. And we saw the end of Dovi this weekend in Mazzano. A little bit emotional, to be honest with you, because for as long as we've been following the sport closely, 2010, it might have been that we started really following it with a vested interest. Dobby's been there the whole time, and we've seen his journey from, you know, starting at Honda with a third bike, kind of bursting onto the scene uh, in the in the works team, and then you know his movement to Tech Three Yamaha in their glory days, some might say. Um, and then his movement to Ducati and being able to take it to Mark Marquez in a way that we haven't seen really any other rider do so in the last 10 years. And then, um, and then, yeah, obviously this year wasn't how he would have wanted to return to MotoGP. Um, and I think he kind of just said, you know, I've got a, I enjoyed retirement. I had enough fun things going on and I, I didn't really miss MotoGP as much as I, thought I would thought particularly I would. with Yamaha being as ordinary as they were so do you have any sentiments any any feelings emotions that you wanted to share on on Dobby I loved uh, I'm, I'm a Ducati boy so I Dobby was my boy for a long time um, but I, even before his move to Ducati I always loved watching him at um especially at Tech 3. I feel like those years when him and Cal Crutchlow were at Tech 3 together, mm. um, that was sort of the start of when 
satellite bikes could really well when they, they were the, when they they were the, they were the first when, satellite bike to really challenge for racing yeah that's right know? like when, when they challenged for podiums i was like oh watch this after the um, crt years yeah yeah so like so realistically that was um that really was probably where a lot of his respect came from but then even if you just sort of dissect his career and it, career and his move to joke to Ducati there was a lot of good people who put on those bikes and he and he never really got bested until he never really got bested really until until they got rid of both him of him and Petrucci um even that year he was kind of best he wasn't he was still best he was still best of the Ducatis but Mm. there was I know there was one year I I saw it today he got six wins and six wins in 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 any championship is 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 not something to sort of bat your eyelids at but um well it's a third of the wins mate that's the fact the yeah fact is it's a third of the wins in a whole it's eight, motor gp is an 18 game season so for him to get six is well, a even phenomenal achievement. one of the um one of the commentators said like all those years when um when marquez was dominating he was really the only person who who kept those seasons interesting um so yeah, like it was it was a sad moment and I really loved the, the I really loved the special tribute helmet they made for him. I shared it up on the group today. Um but yeah, you know it's, it's it really is I saw a picture of him, it was a him, Stoner, uh Rossi, Lorenzo, and um someone else. And it was no. and it was pretty much saying the old guard is is now completely out of the sport and we're in a, a totally new era of MotoGP. But I mean, I don't know if you watched. We'll we'll go into the race yesterday because great race, far out. The top, the race, race of the, the race two. of probably the last three years. Best. Yeah. Oh, it was the best race since um, who what was the race where Bagnaia and Marquez were were together? Was it Sachin mm. Sachin Ring last year or? Mm. I don't think I don't it was Sachin Ring. No, it wasn't. But it was, it was or Coda. There might have been the Coda. Yeah, maybe Coda. But um, yeah. whatever, whatever it was, it was the best race I've I've seen this year and could rival one of the best races I've seen probably yeah. ever. I reckon the last five years easily. They you were, wanna talk about you wanna talk about Dobby being Dobby's last race. That was a throwback to some of the Dobby Marquez races we'd seen, you know, three, four years ago, just with the intensity up the front. The that was that inability was for me, to make mistakes, and yeah, that was, for me was a throwback of the Stoner Rossi kind of dog fights that we used to get. Um, oh, what was that? Ten years ago now, probably even more. But um, honestly, yesterday's race was for me the very like the validation of why Bagunaya and Bastianini are racing at, at the factory team for Ducati next year. Um, Bastianini. And- might be my favourite rider on the grid. Well, you can't claim him because he's racing for my team next year, so he's my boy. But I mean, realistically, I didn't even notice this at the time. The last lap of that race, so this is on twenty-seven year old, twenty-seven old lap old tires, was as fast as Jack Miller's pole time. That blew my mind. And that and and so and and this is the track that last year Bagnaya had his fall that ended the championship run for him. 
Yeah. And for them to be racing. Exor- it was a bit of an exercising his demons race, eh? I, I, I don't know if it was that, but it was, it, was a, it was a statement. It was a massive statement for the rest of the year. Um, and to keep that beast behind him for that whole race, there was even that last lap, I think Bagnaya set a lap as far, faster than the pole lap. And he screwed up turn four so badly. Mm. And he still set a, a, a blistering lap. The one thing I don't, I think we take for granted or I'm worried about for next year for everyone else is his this late kid, lap pace. This man. kid's tires don't go off. I was going to say that. They don't He's, go off. He has got the ability better than makes these many other riders on. You know, I, I, that thing is he's very light. He's a small guy. But yeah, back nine is light. His ability to charge late in every race. If he's at the front and he manages to stay there, he pulls the gap at the end. If he's kind of at the back of the podium, fourth, fifth, end of the race, he's still got the tire life to keep pushing. So he's only going to get better at that whole higher management thing. So the way he's controlling that bike, obviously, is phenomenal. But he, to me right now, if Mark Marquez wasn't there, because he's my boy, can I can I say something? Is my, is the beast is the guy. Can I say something? The beast. I, was, is the guy. I honestly believe next year he could be. I think. Champion. I think Hon, like you're you're talking about Mark Marquez, and yeah, Mark Marquez is still the king. But if Mark Marquez isn't a hundred percent, I don't know how he's gonna fare against. I think these two especially because, I mean, let's see, let's quickly talk about Bagnaya, first Ducati rider in history to win four races on the trot. You don't even really hear about many races winning four on the trot unless your name is Mark Marquez these days. Um, I mean, the steel that he's racing with and, the, and the, the, not just the determination, but also the poise, you know, leading from the front, controlling the race, controlling the pace. Yeah, I mean, Bastianini pushed him a lot yesterday, but still controlling these races, even on the days that he says, I don't feel too comfortable, I feel like every um, corner could have been a potential fall, to still, and, you know, and and the ball is in his court to make this a championship. You know, Quattararo is there or thereabouts. But to, to make it a championship, he needs to score maximum points to the end of the season. Um, you know, there's still 30 points down and there's six races to go. So, I think the, do you think the biggest, <laughs> I think the biggest worry for Quadraro right now isn't Bagnaya. It's the rest of the Ducatis. It's not even the rest of the Ducatis. <laughs> it's, it's Bastianini. It's Maverick Vinales finding some form because when you've got those two bikes in front of the, the Yamaha, it doesn't matter how good Quadra is, it just doesn't have the beans to get it done. But it's, I, um, I feel like we've got to a stage now, like the last two race weekends, every every session has been topped by a Ducati. Yeah. Practices, qualifyings, races has been won by Ducatis. Um, like I think even for for um, Quadraro, it might have even been a bit fortuitous that Miller and... Um, Zarko. And, and, and Zarko was what taken out and Bezeki was... Um, and Miller had their falls at the same corner because mm. I feel like the points could have ballooned out even more than what they are. Um, yep. 
and I feel like we are now seeing sort of the like the investment Ducati has made into the sport probably in its biggest form now, paying dividends for them. You know, they've given so many good bikes out to so many teams. They've invested in so many um, factory contracts for so many good riders now as well. Mm. Um, and realistically, they're going for a championship and the best bikes are all with their best young riders. Mm. And yes, they, a couple of them fall. This race was a perfect example that a couple of them fell. There was an Aprilia in there as well, but there were still three Ducatis that sandwiched or two other ones that sandwiched themselves between Bagnaya and and Quadrara, the championship leader. The interesting this, thing for... Mm. And this is probably the the real sort of difference in sort of how Yamaha is treating MotoGP and Ducati. Yamaha is not investing anything in MotoGP really anymore compared to Ducati. We have six races left, right? Yeah. The interesting thing for me right now, still a 30-point lead. It's come down a lot. But you would it's still say nearly 100 points. It's still pretty comfortably Quadraro's championship. Do you, say it, goes, do, you say, do you say it's comfortably, or do you like another race like this and it's 20, oh, 15 is, points? If we were at 30 points now, you'd still say, oh, quarters to lose. But, you know, Peko has to keep riding the way he is. Um, if we have another race like this and the championship goes from 30 points down to 20, then pressure's on because I think what we have seen from Quarter in the past, particularly his year on the Patronus SRT bike, is that when everything's going well, he will maximize his championship runs. But when the pressure does start, you know, and the and the flames kind of are pressed to the bottom of his feet, um, he does start to make a few mistakes. So if the championship comes down 20 points, less than a race win. He starts feeling the pressure. He's mired in fifth and he tries to make something happen. Um, this championship can swing very quickly. And the other thing that we need to say is right now, even um, Alicia Spargro, whose second half of the season has been pretty just in the shadows. He's only three points behind Becco. And the pressure that Pecco's putting on Quadraro, if Quadraro was to make a mistake, blows up the championship for three riders, not two. Um, so, you know, kind of F1 started the year with all this promise and MotoGP looked like it was going to just flame out. And what we've ended up seeing is Formula One has blown, blown itself apart and MotoGP with two races to go. Six races season, to go. No, with two races to go. Like this. still oh, in the future. Two saying. races to go, yeah. This season's going to get yummy. Yeah. I cannot wait to see how it ends. Um, just to finish off on the MotoGP chat, um, Peko, Quarta, Ducati, fantastic. Does, does MotoGP, and you kind of said, you kind of hypothesized, you know, what Mark Marquez comes back to the championship. And if you were listening to anything he said, in the last fortnight, um, he pretty much said that when he comes back, if there's another setback, that's it. His grandfather already told him, after this injury, you've got nothing left to prove. You should retire. Um, 
and you know Mark Marquez has come out and said something else happens that's it I've got you know his his grandfather said you've made all the money you need no one's going to deny that you are the greatest debatably one of the greatest MotoGP riders of all time um, but I feel like this setback has given Mark something to prove but with that being said I think we're at a stage now where MotoGP doesn't need Marquez um, but would be privileged to have his name in this a championship fight like this as well because I mean we're seeing Quota, we're seeing Bagnaya you know Mark Marquez has been riding at this level for the better part of a decade now I think the MotoGP world fans deserve to see what he can bring to the championship and I, the, the real pressure right now is on Honda to get some semblance of a bike together so that he can compete. And he doesn't need to be... The bike doesn't need to be all the way to where Ducati is, but if they can get it somewhere in the ballpark, I think we'll see the Marquez of old back. The question becomes... I I don't know if we'll ever see the Marquez of older back, but I don't think we need to see the Marquez of old. I think realistically, the one thing about Marx is Marquez, ne- MotoGP never needed Marquez because even in the years that Marquez was dominating, they always had Rossi to fill up the crowd. Mm. Um, I feel like now, um, these y- I was thinking about this a lot this weekend. The, the best thing since Rossi left that he has left the sport is he has left the sport with a team that he runs, but more than that, he's left the sport for a legacy of riders who, you know, aren't him, but they're coming, they, they very much come across with an attitude that he has and, and they're pretty much training with him every day. Um, and I thought they're about protégés. this today, but they're, they're protégés. They they're, are for, protégés. For many years, the KTM, the KTM um, sort of, um, what's the word, academy was probably the most successful academy for MotoGP riders. But I think now I would have to beg to differ and say no. The VR46 Academy, if you look at who's on, who's, who's, who's the two up-and-comers, has to say no. You know, we've got... We've got um, the two Bs. The two B riders. We've got um, Bezeki, or the three Bs. Bezeki's come in on an older bike and he has looked just as good as a rookie as probably you could you could look without the other Ducati guys taking his thunder. Um, I mean, more Bedelli came in and looked looked great until his until this sort of new iteration of Yamaha has really stunted his growth and that he had that bad injury. Um, and I, I would mean, say Marini, Marini, he's coming. He's slow burning, mate. Yeah, he's a he's a slow grower. He doesn't fall off the bike, but um, to to keep Quadraro behind him yesterday at a track that you wouldn't like a year ago, you wouldn't think that the Ducati would really even suit with all the twists and turns. To keep Quadraro behind him, yeah, he's on the I'm, he's on the new I'm bike. I'm super obsessed. I'm super impressed with Marini. To be honest, with you. I thought he's 
name had given him the op- the opportunity to go to MotoGP, but and the fact that he's Rossi's brother, but he is he's a rider. He, he never comes ride. off either. No, he's no. finished. He probably some doesn't crazy record of because yeah, probably doesn't he, push to. The, he probably doesn't have the the all out like balls to the wall. You know, win it or win it. Pace, yeah. yeah, like the, he's not a beast. He doesn't have like a beast mode, but he's a good rider. He'll win also, a race. Or if two. you think about it as well, these riders are training together at this at the at the ranch. Mm. They're all making themselves better. You know that whole mentality of iron sharpens iron. Great analogy, Joe. Um, so, like what you're saying about Marquez, do I think the sport needs Marquez? I don't think so. I think what the sport wants is for Marquez to retire healthy to enjoy the next part of his life. I mean, it's ridiculous how he's, he's our age. He's accomplished so much. And realistically now, over the last couple of years, he's put his body through such a torment to get back into the sport after that hor- horrendous injury, come back, win races. Can, can, does that garner that- some level of respect as well? But that a man who's got, like, he's like, we're talking about Hamilton. Hamilton's 10 years older than him. But for Marquez to have the success he's had, to have the injury that he had, battle back, win races, have another step back, win another race, have another step back. Does the there's got to be some level of respect that you've got to have. There's, for there's, the there's obviously inside. There's obviously a respect that you have to have. Um, I mean, <laughs> in hindsight, you probably wish he had some smaller injuries throughout the first part of his career to slow him down. Um, but I feel like he got to a stage where he honestly felt he was invincible. Mm. And then you get to a stage where you're, you're saving so many crashes and they say that statistically this doesn't happen. And then, yeah, you have a few that, you know, you end up real bad. Mm. Um, I mean, I just hope but, he comes back safe. I would love I, to see him race again, but I don't I slightly think... change the question then? Mm. How badly... Does MotoGP need Yamaha and Honda to do well to get their act together? I think I, th- I don't think MotoGP needs it at all. I think Yamaha and Honda need it. I think they're hurting their. I think they're hurting their um, their brand image badly. Because we're uh, going to get to the end of this year, and the top two manufacturers in the Constructors' Championship are both going to be Italian. Yeah. And that is... That's mental. Unheard of. It's mental. But it's, it's not even that. We're going to get to the end of the year and Honda is going to be so far off the pace. We're going to see everyone but Quattararo and Yamaha so far off the pace. And yeah, Yamaha are testing a new bike for next year. This uh, I think it was today or tomorrow. Well, Mark Marquez um, is testing tomorrow. And Mark Marquez is testing it's tomorrow. crazy. But like, okay, they're testing a new bike. Guess what? Ducati and 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 um, Aprilia know yeah. that they've they've got a bike for next year that they just just they just have to in, uh, iterate on. Mm. And there's going to be already bulletproof. Just as many there's going to be just as many Ducatis next year and an extra two Aprilias. Um, so good luck. Good luck if you're if you're Yamaha with two bikes trying to develop a new bike for next year. Yeah. Um, so so my last question, I guess, is is this? Um, we've gonna we're gonna have 
two amazing right oh sorry um we have the news over the last week that me has officially joined Repsol Honda as well uh, that should be good for them however we've seen some great riders join Repsol Honda recently and kind of not do a whole lot I mean Paul Espargaro going from from the KTM to the Honda he was killing it on KTM you know never really did anything on the Honda Lorenzo you know pick your rider over the last 10 years um, I think Honda's made a massive mistake of this signing, to be honest. I feel like Honda need a, a rider who's They need a balls-to-the-wall rider. Yeah, they, they don't need, need a consistent they need a rider. rider. Well, Mi has never been known as someone who's going to grab the bike by the sort of scruff of its neck and mm. sort of manhandle it to victory. Mm. Um, Do you reckon it would have been better for them to take Rins? Well, they've got, they're going to have Rins in, in, on the satellite bike which is the exact same bike anyway mm. i mean the problem with rins is that he crashes too much mm. but realistically they need I something think, like that but yeah they do but i don't think they want to put him on the factory bike if i was honda and i, I and i was looking to develop a bike i would have gone after someone like jorge martin Someone who is ridiculously fast is going to push to the end. Yeah, he might come across, come off a few times next year. You're developing developing a new bike, but what about someone like Brad Binder? No, I don't think Bin. I don't think Binder um, grabs the bike by the scruff of the neck and by the scruff of the neck enough. I feel like Oliveira would have been a better choice for that because I feel like he actually he wins it or bins it. I like Oliveira. Yeah, he wins it or bins. Like they need a right. I think they need a rider more like that. Because there's they no need way the Marquez that mold. That's the thing. Because I think also the other thing is if the Honda, like, you don't like it. Obviously, we've never ridden it, but from just garnering some level of insight, you know, following the racing, Marquez has ridden that bike number one by not caring about its feel and in a weird way, like suppressing its feel almost to just, I'm going to freaking. Just, He's gonna do what I'm I say. just gonna wrangle it to get a to get to make something out of it. And if you you kind of need another rider that kind of walk like runs before they can walk in the way that they race. Like perfect example, Bastinini. If you had someone that literally just like screw it, it's either gonna go into the kitty litter, I'm gonna have a broken collarbone, and it's gonna end my career, or I'm gonna just you know win this race. Um, but he, but he, so they kind of need someone like that. Herein lies the problem. Honda don't have the academy riders signed up like Ducati do. Mm. Like if you think about it, Ducati come in, come have all these riders signed up to factory contracts and they have literally the pick of the litter of who they want on that bike. Mm. So much so they have two, probably two perfect candidates and they can only choose one. Mm. And guess what? Martin's still on a factory contract next year. Mm. Surely if you're Honda... And we know Repsol Honda pay the biggest contracts. Surely you can you can make contact with with one of these guys' agents and say we're going to give you you know stupid money because we need someone with you know your skill set to help can us. Can I throw you one more name? They need help. Can I throw you one more name? Throw me of a rider who doesn't know any better. Who's too naive to know any better? Who, who top might, rank? 
and he might just go in and kind of assimilate to a a thousand, you know, a MotoGP bike, Pedro Acosta. No. Might he be a better signing no. than... He, he hasn't even mastered a, a Moto2 yet. Like, no. The second half of the season's been pretty no, good. He, he hasn't. He, he's been good, but he hasn't been setting the world on fire. I mean, there is still five... He's only done half the season. Yeah, I know, but there's still five or six riders in that group you'd say, okay, they're better than him. But would you say that they're better because they've had more... Like, for example, you'd say they're better because they've had more experience, but if you were to give him, like, in 12 months' time, he very well could be mopping up Moto I don't. Two. I don't think any. I don't think any rider who's had even one year of Moto Two experience ever comes in ready to Moto GP. Look how, look how much how highly we were talking about Rail Fernandez at the end of last year and how fast he was, and he has looked like the shell of like he's looked worse than Darren Binder, and that's saying something. You know what I mean? And Dan Binder never you know did crazy. Really yeah. Too. You know what's crazy? Even when you were talking about these massive riders right now, Bastianini against Bagnaia, their Moto2 careers, obviously Bagnaia, uh, Bastianini, they both won the Moto2 championship. But there were some moments in their careers, even Bastianini, he did three or four years of Moto3. What a Quattararo. Quattararo was... was... <coughs> was ordinary a relatively ordinary Moto3 rider. Do you swallow your saliva? I swallowed something. I'm dying. There's nothing else in there. All right. That's good chat about Moto. Let's finish off on um, IndyCar just briefly. I didn't get to watch the race this week, uh, this morning. Just I watched it. It was very, it was relatively boring to be honest for the most it? part. It was, well, it was processional. Well, until it's a short a- track. It's, a, it's one of the more Simple tracks on the um, IndyCar, IndyCar calendar. But what did interest me is the 20-point lead that Will Power takes into the last round of the championship, um, which is... Not much. Know, no, it's not, but it's quite... It's, it's better than being 20 points behind. But for any Australian fans out there, the race win third of the season, he took out the pole as well, was Scotty McLaughlin. So he's really hit his right in this second season and if he had one more race finish one less dnf he's in with a shot for the champion because then he, he's only 40 points behind as we and sit right he, now he's still in for a shot for the championship is, 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 is the crazy still thing a double crazy things have happened last race he's still oh, a double oh, points around to end the season in indycar i think so but for me even if you think about it Sorry, there's not much that would have to happen for, for Scotty Mack to have a chance at, at, at the championship next week. Um, mm. I mean, crazy things have happened when when you've had two, you know, drivers at the front get caught up in contact and, you know, that's all he really needs. Mm. Um, I feel like this weekend was after sort of last round when Newgarden sort of looked like he had hit his straps. This wasn't the weekend that he really needed. Mm. Um, I heard something crazy about Newgarden. It was he's got like six race wins this year and also six podiums. So he's only finishing on the podium when he's winning. Um, I mean, Will Power probably did the best race he could, um, considering the you know the pace that 
his teammate had as well. And Scott Dixon, out of nowhere, comes up 13 points from his starting grid spot mm. and, you know, finishes in third. Mm. And by the end of that race was really give him a few more laps, look like he could have made something of it. Yeah. So going into the last round, which is next weekend, it's all to play for. But I think the more interesting is that, yeah, there is still five people mathematically possible to win this championship with one race to go. Like that's unheard of, you know, two draw and there's three from one team, two from another. So you know that these two teams have been the cream of the crop this year. Um, but yeah, like if you look at Scott McLaughlin, who I think we've all really wanted to see do well and also wanted to see how he measures up against sort of some of the best in the world. Yeah. He's this year had three wins, three different tracks. He's run on a street circuit at um, St. Pete. He won on a, a small over, I think, at Iowa, uh, Iowa. And then he's won on a, you know, purpose-built racetrack. So three different types of wins. I think his last five races have been something like uh, first, third, fourth, third, first, or something like that, like something ridiculous. Um, so he's really finishing the season in what you'd call championship form. Um which only bodes well for him for, for the start of next year in terms of confidence. And, like, it's sort of reminder of him in supercars. Like, if, if he's starting on the front, yeah, good luck. Yep, yep. The only the, it's, it's interesting, like, it's almost, not almost, he's kind of in a situation now where even though he's not, like we're not still not saying oh Scott it's Scott McLaughlin's championship to win, but with the exception of Newgarden, if you were to look at the race wins, if you were to look at who's been able to kind of perform consistently over the course of the season, he had a little lull towards the, the end of the first half of the season, um, which That's kind what of we took call him out of. Yeah, true, <laughs> true. I call it the end of the first half, but neither it's semantics. But um, it bodes well for, you know, next season moving. Like, he's definitely finished his rookie season. This is supposed to be his sophomore slump. Moving into next season, he's a veteran of the sport now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going to be exciting to see what the future holds for him because that will be a great story for supercars, for Australasian motorsport. Um, but with all of that being said, we've still got the race next weekend at Laguna Seca. Um and, you know, there's still everything to play for in this championship. A little bit of chaos, a little bit of carnage, a few safety cards. You know, the IndyCar championship is well and truly alive going into the last round of the championship. Um, what a track, though, to finish off at. Mm, Such an unforgiving track. Unforgiving. You know? uh, yeah, yeah. Dusty. Um, yeah. Hot. Guys you know, getting beached. Jag. Yeah. Can't wait. I really can't wait for that final race of the season. But um, the good thing is we won't have to wait too long. To, um, next week. Yeah, to find it's out how, how it all ends. So, all of that being said, Joe, I think we've shot it pretty well tonight. You know, I want to ask you a quick question though. Yeah. Throw what was me. your favorite? What was your favorite race of the weekend, and why? So all very different. Um, I have been saying it for years. If you are lucky enough to watch a high quality MotoGP race which is exactly what we got this weekend. I don't know any 
other motorsport on earth can even compare to it. Fact. As much as I love four-wheel cars, as much as I love Formula One, um, any kind of racing, if you get a top-of-the-range MotoGP race, it's like listening to angels sing. Is it? Because that we're going to call this pod. Because, because for the whole race, all you get is just, you're just awestruck because they're, these bikes are mo- bouncing, they're moving. It's just, it is, mate. It's like listening to the cherubim. And the I, feel like, I feel like of all races to, to, to say to someone, go watch this and then tell me what you like and do a study on it. Like, tell me what you think. Yeah. This is the one to watch. And there's only two bikes really involved in the race, but they're so close for the whole thing. You know, I, I was talking to um my brother, my cousin, Our brother. cousin-in-law, no, my, my wife's cousin's husband. And he hadn't watched a MotoGP race since Rossi and Stoner. Mm. And he's got triplets. So now he just, he's always watching sport, up feeding the kids. And he watched the race. And um, I kind of just thought, bloody hell, what like, what a race. To get like what a first race to yeah, it's almost like being able to read a book or watch a movie for the first time. Like what a race to get reacquainted with a sport because yeah, like I said, you get a good MotoGP race. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about another sport, motorsport, whatever it might be, nothing can give you that spectacle. Um, it's just yeah. It's all adrenaline, mate. Mate, you've got me just just wishing that I could be that. And be I what? Like, do that? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you can't. I can't. I know. I know. Do you know how shit scared I, I, I get if I start leaning just like <laughs> that much mm. and like a 10 degree angle? Yeah. yeah. Right. These boys are special, man. They're warriors. That's I think we'll leave it there, mate. mate. These boys are special. And I'll tell you what, MotoGP, it's in a good place. It's in a good bloody place. Farewell to Dovi. Farewell to the old guard. Even farewell to Marquez if if that's what it has to be. But MotoGP will live on strong. They've, they, they've, they have turned the ship around. Or, or built something from sort of like the ashes of of what was once a glory time for the sport and, and brought it back in such a way that it has never been better, like in terms from a spectacle point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it there. I'm just, I think so. I'm, I've made myself dumbstruck. Like, I'm, yeah, anyway. All good. All right. So, again, thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, please keep sharing. We'll be back next week following engaging in the socials we'll be back next week with the third round of f1's triple header which is taking us is there a triple header is there another race next week yeah there's three in a row so we've got we've got we've got oh, supercars next week indycar and f1 in 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 the um Auckland. over the ditch over Puka, the ditch Pukakoi. Pukakoi. we've got formula one i can't remember where it's at but it's another it might be uh I'll quickly look I've lost, lost it. And we've got the IndyCar finale. Um, no, I don't think so. 
it's close to close to Belgium and Holland. It's close to that region. Um, regardless, so we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for your time. Dude, it's, I just said it's Italy. It is in Italy. Yeah, it's Monza. They've raced in Monza, haven't they? All right, we're at Monza then. The Cathedral of Speed, Cathedral de Pasto. All right, we'll oh, leave yeah. it there. We'll leave it there. Joey, thanks fun. for your time, mate. Good chat. It was good not to argue with you this week and have a civil discourse. Um, and yeah, Harry back next week. Yep. Hope you enjoyed Perisher. Hope he didn't fall on his ass too many times in the ice. But all right, boys, have a great night. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate.